getting ready for the new year, getting ready for another Patriots game. Before we get into it, this episode brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. Let's get to the headlines. Honestly, not too much this week, Greg. A a quiet week so far. We still have one more day left, so who knows what can happen. But you did watch the defensive film from the game against the Broncos on Christmas Eve. Uh, Any thoughts other than something that you wrote to me regarding Wilson deserving to be benched? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I thought, um, you know, I thought the defense did okay. I mean, I thought the as normal, um, I just want to say that I think um, DeMarcus Covington, the defensive line coach of the Patriots, has done a tremendous job again this year. I think it's just about every year. Um, I thought that his group up front played terrific across the board outside of Anthony Jennings. I thought that. You know, he was really strong. He's been really strong since he got into the lineup. Uh, looked like the Bronco, Broncos targeted him. Um, he went up against old nemesis, uh, little Jordan Humphrey, who seemed to have his way with him on the edge. Matt Patricia was somewhere like pointing like, see, I told you, <laughs> LJ Humphrey, block his ass off. Um, uh, th- yeah, that got the Broncos offense really far, like the Patriots last year. But, um, you know, uh, we talked about Bentley. You know, I thought he looked really tired. He did not have a very good game. I thought that the secondary was really hit and miss. There were some good plays. Um, You know, Miles Bryant had a lot of really good plays, struggled with tackling. Tackling was an issue in this game. Might have been the altitude. Um, You see a lot of that with with players up there in Denver that they get tired as the game goes on. I didn't think Jalen Mills was very good at free safety at all in the game. that was a huge that's a huge worry going into the Bills game. We'll see if Jabril Peppers is back. I thought Kyle Duggar was better in this game. Why? Because he was no closer to the line of scrimmage because yep. they were worried about Russell Wilson running and their running game. So shocking. Kyle Duggar looks really good uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, and so, you know, the, to relate it to Russell Wilson and also a little bit to Bailey Zappi. And also what's going on with Russell Wilson going to the bench for the Broncos, because a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Russell Wilson left a lot of plays on the field. Um, this is not unusual for him. Um, I, you know, and I know there's there's been some conversation I heard about on Twitter and I reacted to it about like, you know, people are like, oh, maybe Russell Wilson can be the Patriots quarterback next year. Like, no, no, a thousand times. No. OK, and here's the problem with Russell Wilson. He is a player. And this is why he rose to great heights. He is a player who is more comfortable playing out of structure of the offense. And when I say structure, that means, you know, the offensive coordinator has a play call. And, you know, he's calling this play based on tendencies of the defense. And, you know, if basically they're pinpointing one defender, and if this defender does X, Y, or Z, then the quarterback's going to throw it into one spot or the other. Right. Um, And it's in timing of the drop back the routes, like everything is mapped out. Like NFL offense is supposed to be, you know, real NFL offense is supposed to be in rhythm, the the play caller beating the defensive coordinator, talent taking over, that sort of thing. Russell Wilson is a guy who's, for good or worse, has played, he plays back, uh, ball yard sort of background, backyard football where he goes back to pass and then he like moves around. Like when he go back to pass and you stop, 
Like, that's when the ball's supposed to go out. There were plays for him to make in this game down the field, and he didn't do it. And I can't tell you how frustrating this is for an offensive coordinator, especially a head coach who calls the plays. This is stuff that I most recently saw with Derek Carr with John Gruden with the Raiders. Derek Carr with Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. Derek Carr with the Saints. Like, you know, when... You know, just think of Sean Payton's offense with Drew Brees. It was well-coordinated. If this isn't there, dump it down to Alvin Kamara. Like, back foot, the ball's coming out, or Brees is is trying to get out of the pocket, make something happen, throw the ball away, what have you. And Russell Wilson just doesn't do that. And it just got to the point, similar to me watching Derek Carr last year with Josh McDaniels, that it just got to a point where the coach just throws his hands up and has been like, he's not running my offense. Like, this isn't an offense. Running around and making plays is not an offense. It's not sustainable in the NFL. So it doesn't surprise me that they're going to Jared Stidham, who has been trained in the Patriots' way, whether it's here or with McDaniels in, in Las Vegas, that here's the play, run it. If it's not there, throw it away or make a play with your feet. And Russell Wilson just refuses to do that. It cost the Broncos in this game. And Peyton said, enough is enough. Now, how does that, if it does at all, relate to Bailey Zappi and his situation, Greg? A little bit. It, it, it does a little bit because, look, Bailey tries to run the play as prescribed. Now, similar to Russell Wilson, he's undersized sometimes because of the tall trees in front of him. Things aren't there. You saw that a lot with Russell Wilson. And let me also add that Russell Wilson was so good. His legs were so good. His arm was so good, especially his legs, that he just made special plays outside of structure. So the, so the Seahawks had to live with it till they could. And then once his legs started going downhill, then, you know, he, he's not the same player. You're not getting the special plays as often and so you can't live with it anymore so seattle didn't want to live with it anymore now denver doesn't want to live with it anymore you know with bailey it's a little bit similar i mean bailey wants to play in structure he's really a pocket quarterback he's a gunslinger type but you know it's as we sort of talked about in the last podcast you know it's a double-edged sword you know that that bailey Bailey wants to make plays out of structure. Some of his best plays in this game were out of structure. The Gasecki touchdown, the back shoulder to Devontae Parker, um, you know, on the final drive, the throw to Mike Gasecki on the final drive, him buying time, running around, making plays. He do- But he does it from the confines of the pocket. Other guys like Russell Wilson or guys who love to run around, they they go outside and then it all breaks down. Even you're even seeing some of this with Patrick Mahomes that, yep. When Mahomes is not good, and we've seen this in years past, it's because he's relying too much on playing out of structure. Now, some of that is him. Some of that is the lack of weapons. It's a combination of both. Travis Kelsey not being elite anymore. That's why it's different this year. But, you know, it's just in this game for the Patriots, they got like 57% of their pass yards on five passing plays. You know, they they were big plays. They, they turned the tide of the game. That's great. But as we see with guys, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or whoever, whoever relies on making plays out of structure, 50-50 balls, stuff like that, that stuff's not sustainable. That's not an NFL offense. So if if Bailey wants to be sustainable and this offense wants to be sustainable, he has to make plays in rhythm of this offense from the pocket. And right now he's not doing that. It's working for him. But it's very boom and bust, as we saw against the Chiefs, as we saw against the Chargers. 
the second half against the Steelers. Like it's it when it when it works, it looks great. But when it doesn't, you don't have much of an offense. It's low percentage explosive plays versus inch by inch measured plays in approach. And that's what we're seeing, right? We're we're seeing that look, it, it might take a death by a thousand paper cuts to score with the earlier offense with Mac Jones, even when Mac was broken. Bailey gives you that occasional pop down the field, no pun intended, especially on Christmas Eve, but he gives you some of that explosiveness, but the consistency, the consistency is what matters. And that's what separates a true legitimate QB one versus a backup quarterback. And that's why, as you mentioned, Greg, you look at the up and down play of Bailey. It's because he relies on those low percentage explosive plays downfield. And if they hit the drives a success, if they don't, it's not good. So we have to keep that in mind. Speaking of quarterback play, uh, Jalen Milrow met with the media earlier today, Alabama quarterback, and he said that Bill O'Brien, Greg, told him he should not play QB. Your thoughts on that? So interesting, and I'm sure this is going to get a lot of run. Um, and, you know, in, in some ways you could group this with some of the stuff that, and I'm sure people very soon will start making the connection, uh, the stuff that Bill O'Brien told DeAndre Hopkins in, in Houston about, you know, maybe some of his off-field stuff and, and what was going on. There was a lot made of that when it was rumored that the Patriots might be interested might in DeAndre interested. Hopkins, um, which, of course, at the time I said was overrated, and it is overrated. Now, the Milrow thing is interesting. I Everybody knows I know Bill O'Brien. We haven't talked actually this season at all, so it's been a while. But I, but I know him. I've spent time with him, and I know what kind of person he is. And with everything, you know, quotes can be taken out of context. And just knowing Bill O'Brien, and I don't know this for sure. I'm just giving you my two cents. And yes, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt of Bill O'Brien. But I'm sure this was part of a lot larger conversation with Milrow. You know, you talk about Alabama where they recruit you know, five-star quarterbacks every single year. And I'm sure really at the heart, Bill O'Brien had a conversation with him. And, you know, he, I I tend to believe that maybe his conversation was more about his future and about, look, look, I, I was in the NFL. I coached Deshaun Watson. Um, I've coached all sorts of quarterbacks. Like, I'm just telling you right now that, the future for you in the NFL as a quarterback is probably not great. You know, just because these are your strengths, these are your weaknesses. The strengths work really well in the college game. You know, powerful runner, powerful guy. And let me just state, I haven't seen Milrow play barely at all. So I don't yeah. really know a whole lot of his game. I just know of him a little bit. But, um, you know, it certainly made big plays in the passing game. But I'm sure Bill O'Brien just, you know, it was more of a conversation like, you know, if you want to go to the pros, which I assume you do, like it's going to be a really hard road for you, you know, because these are your strengths and these are your weaknesses. It it might be better for you. I could see you as a tight end, as an H back, as whatever, you know, that you could have a long career in the NFL doing that. And I think that's how most teams would evaluate you coming, coming out in the draft. Um, I tend to believe that was more of the conversation than him just saying like, you suck. Like you, you're a horrible quarterback. You'll never qu play quarterback for me. I have a hard time seeing Billy O'Brien saying something like that. So that was just sort of my two, two cents on seeing that right before we jumped on score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. 
Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I love the app. I use it all the time, all over the place. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Let's get to the mailbag. Some mailbag questions all from uh, BSJ members in the Friday Q&A, Greg. Uh, if I mispronounce your name, it's not my fault. Make it more clear in the Q&A questions. Your catchy little handles don't help. Uh, so let's go to uh, let's go to Chom D. Hopefully that's what you want to hear. Chom D. I think uh, it might be Chow MD. Maybe. Chow MD. Okay, as in doctor. Okay, Doctor Chow. Yeah, I. The, the BSJ members were pretty, pretty mm. smart. Mm, Doctor Chow. Hello, <laughs> Doctor Chow. All right. So last week you mentioned a hypothetical where the Crafts kept Brady instead of Belichick. What do you think the results over the last four years would have been with a Brady Josh McDaniels partnership? A uh, very interesting question. Obviously, fantasy football. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will have their certain reactions to Josh McDaniels as they do, and they'll, they'll look at Denver and they'll look at Raiders and see "quote unquote" failure. Um, you know, Denver was certainly one thing. I think the Raiders were something else. I, I you know, I would have liked to have seen him at least get a full two years. Um, but look, I think the world of Josh McDaniels. I think that. Um, Given the right situation and patience and the ability to do things, I think he would be a successful head coach in this league. And and I definitely think he I definitely think that they would he would have had more chances of success as a head coach here for this reason. You know, when he had to go to Denver, when he had to go to the Raiders, he had to go there and 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 instill a culture there. And a lot of it, of course, was borrowed from the Patriots and what they like to do. Definitely when he went to Vegas, it was much more modified than when it was. But the bottom line is, look, it's it's a tough place to play. We've talked about it before. It it the players put up with it, the long hours, the long practices, the 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 tough film sessions, um, to be kind. They put up with that when they're winning. Um, the problem is, and this was the problem for Josh in, in Las Vegas, was that they didn't do enough winning quickly enough. So then the players, just like here the past few years, especially this season, the players start to look at it like, why am I putting in this amount of work? You know, it's, it, you know, these guys think they know what they're doing. They're riding us hard. We're practicing hard. They're MF and us in film sessions. And we have like two or three wins. Like, what's the point? So that, that's a tough sell. I do think that, especially if he was, if Brady was here for another, say another two years, Brady running the show, I think things would have been a lot better. No question in my mind. And that, that McDaniels didn't have to worry about instilling the Patriots culture. It was already baked in here. 
they had a majority of players, almost all of them, who they evaluated and said they can handle tough coaching, they can handle this. So there wouldn't have been the transition period that that Josh had to go through in Denver and also Las Vegas. So, um, you know, I, me, I could be wrong, but I think uh, Brady and McDaniels would have been a successful pairing. The big question would have been what kind of staying power McDaniels would have had once Brady hung it up. Would he have stayed for another year uh, if McDaniels was here and, and that sort of thing? And, and he had a bigger say in what was going on. Who knows? But um, certainly for Brady's two years, at least, um, things would have been pretty good. The Brady thing is such a classic sliding doors moment for not only the Patriots, but I also think Brady. Let's not forget, Brady went to Tampa. Tampa was freaking loaded. You want to talk about fantasy football team? Fantasy football team. They had Fournette in the backfield. They had Godwin. They had Evans. Uh, they just had so many good skill position players, if not damn good skill position players. They had an offensive line that was really good. So I think we fall into this trap of looking at what Brady did down in Tampa and say, oh, man, the Patriots would have had that. The Patriots would have done. We don't know because, you know, whether it was McDaniels or Belichick, they might have handled the personnel the same exact way. McDaniels went to Vegas and, yes, he took Jacoby Myers, which was the better move than Juju. But McDaniels might have stood by the Patriots guys in the Patriot way, and he might not have brought in that explosive wide receiver one. We have no idea. It's just a reminder that Brady, he was a different guy in Tampa than the final year in New England, not because, you know, of, of necessarily his personal play, but the people around him. And he was given a whole lot more in Tampa than he was in his final season here in New England. All right, let's go to uh, Mr. JD three hearing talk about bringing Josh back. Good Lord. Can anyone come up with a plan that isn't filled with bringing back a bunch of expatriates? And there's another a statement slash question that's related to this from Pat's jam. When you see an idea like what Mike Reese just floated to keep bill around with tweaks and about them being close to turning it around, mentioning injuries as an excuse for the season. And then in parentheses, not sure how that flies as they once again are in the top 12 for the least starters games lost to injury in the league and bringing in past coaches, execs from the glory days like Josh and Ziegler as a solution to help bill yuck. But given how close Reese is to Kraft, Greg, is that a trial balloon from Robert to judge reaction? Um, yeah, certainly this is, you know, all interesting. Obviously have a huge amount of respect for Mike. Um, you know, I heard his comments. I didn't quite now. You can't rule out that it's a that's a that it's a trial balloon from the crafts or at least bantering about. And it would go in sort of lockstep with. You know, what I reported a couple of days ago, including here on this podcast, where I hear that Robert Kraft is conflicted about what to do about Bill Belichick, that I think he knows in his heart what he has to do. But does he want to move on from him? Um, you know, I think that's a different situation. Uh, I, I, when I heard Mike's comments, you know, I didn't read them as a trial balloon. I heard Mike is like one of these guys like Dan Roach. God bless them that they are that they're always positive. They're always energetic. They always look on the bright side of things. Uh, I think many would say that I'm sort of the opposite <laughs> of those two that <laughs> like, you know, look, that's just, I am who I am. And, you know, I've always been, I've always looked at things with a critical eye. That's just how I've been trained as a journalist and it is what it is. So everybody has different, um, come with different skill sets and, 
and tool sets when they come to being a journalist. I, I heard it as, you know, Mike's been covering this team a long time. He's been covering Bill Belichick. Um, I think he's been consistent that he is, that he's definitely reticent to move on from Bill Belichick because I do think he falls into the, uh, I don't know what it looks like on the other side. I remember what it was like before Bill Belichick. Right. Um, you know, so, um, you know, as far as let's just talk about his sort of plan for the Patriots, you know, I think he, was it him? Did he say like he wanted, he thought Josh McDaniels and Bill O'Brien running the offense. I don't know how that would work at all. Um, you know, I'm sure Bill O'Brien wants to be the offense coordinator. I'm sure Josh McDaniels would want to be, I, I can tell you that I don't think Josh McDaniels is in a rush to do anything. And for him, it's gotta be the right situation. He's not, the Raiders own like $60 million. Like he doesn't have to work another day in his life and he's not going to, unless it's a good situation that he think is good for him and his family and things like that. And I know that he already has, there are feelers out there uh, with him about, you know, possible offensive coordinator positions, but he's not going to do like what he did in St. Louis, which was a lose, lose situation for him when he did that uh, between jobs, between Denver and coming back to new England. Um, you know, I just look at the end of the day, no matter what you're rearranging the deck chairs, Nick, and I don't know if you agree with this, like you can bring in back all the people you want. At the end of the day, it's still Bill making the decisions and can Bill at 72 years old, you know, in, in looking at what he's done the past few years, is Bill at 72 years old, the person to run football operations for the New England Patriots going forward in today's modern game. And to me, it, you know, when, when Josh and Dave Ziegler and all these guys were here, there were still these problems. And so I don't think that solves any of the problems other than it, it makes it comfortable for people who are warm for the nostalgia look of the Patriots. And they want the, they want the elegant solution or the happy ending to to all this. And I just look, look what happened with Brady and look what Tom Sr. said. Um, things always end poorly and you can't avoid it. Putting it off is just a mistake, in my opinion. And I think you just the, the essential question is not what we can do to help Bill is, is Bill the person to to direct football operations for the Patriots in 2022 uh, 2024? And going forward. And to me, the answer is no. I don't know how you feel about it. I would agree. I mean, even if you look at the wins this season, even if you look at Christmas Eve, people might just want to, some people might want to erase what happened in the first half. That first half was terrible. And we once again saw, you know, the approach from Belichick. And this has been his approach. I'll, I'll highlight this as much as I can because people will say, oh, he's just afraid of his quarterback situation. No, this is what he's done since 2012, folks. He is a very conservative coach. He was conservative with Brady and Gronk. He was conservative with Brady and Edelman. He was conservative with Mack and company and Zappi and company. This is who he is. The fourth and two bill from Indianapolis no longer exists. And against Denver, we saw it again. Fourth and two from your own 47 in the first half, three-win team, you punt. What are we doing? We saw a third and 16. And it's uh, we're going to hand the football off to Ezekiel Elliott, and hopefully he can get three or four yards so he can set up a 40-plus yard field goal that our rookie kicker misses instead of being somewhat, you know, at least somewhat 
any kind of aggressiveness would have been fantastic to try to get seven, eight yards on that play. So that's the way he coaches. It's the way he coaches, whether they win or they lose. And it's a big reason people always talk about, well, they're close. They're in one score games because Belichick coaches that way. Belichick coaches one possession games. He tries to keep it 2016 that, that like that's, that's what it is. So, you know, there's a, there's a cart, you know, there's the, there's the uh, chicken or egg theory with why are these games close? And oh man, if they could only get, if they could only win some of these close games, well, Hey, if they had a coach that was more aggressive and didn't coach like it was 1985 and set his personnel on offense, like it was 1985, maybe you wouldn't have to win as many one score games, or maybe you would have a good enough offense to win those one score games. I digress. Let's get to the uh, deflator in the mailbag. If Zappy, <laughs> my favorite, that's my favorite handle on the site. It, it, it cracks me up every time I see it. <laughs> the deflator. If Zappy feet was under center all season, how impactful could he have been? more sliding doors look uh possibly a game or two um especially you know the colts game the giants game something like that something along those lines but you also have to factor in uh you know first of all and they you know and putting into context like at the, at the end of the day great zappy graded out even though i thought he was bad in the first half excellent in the second half against the broncos he graded out as the best graded game uh of this the quarterback of the season for the patriots this year just barely edging out Mac in weeks one through three, you know, back when they were on schedule, the, the, they were managing the offensive line, you know, what have you, um, you know, a couple of things work against Zappy um, in, in that you think I'm sure there are people out there who have been like, Oh, if we just would have done this all year, we would have been in the playoff hunt. And I'm sure, I think I'm pretty sure I heard Mike Lombardi say that on his podcast the other day, oh, um, which I completely disagree with, but um couple of things that you have to factor in that the pummeling that Mac Jones took against the Cowboys and the saints among other people that would have all affected Bailey Zappi. Now, do I think he's a little bit more resilient than Mac in that regard? Yes. Um, and we sort of talked about this on the last podcast. And also you have to keep in mind and something to keep in mind going into the bills game this weekend is that there's more and more film on Zappi now. And so these back shoulder throws that he loves to throw, maybe the Broncos weren't ready for him. I would expect the Bills to be ready for him. Some of those are just you can't defend them as long as the quarterback and the wide receiver are on the same page. Aaron Rodgers used to love those passes. Um, again, not sustainable, um, in my opinion, to having a good NFL offense. But he would have more and more film on him so teams would know what he likes, what he likes to do, where he likes to go in the pocket, and they would game plan for that. So – um, I probably a game or two, but anything more than that, I have a tough time because of the pressure and about the game planning element. All right. So I do a solo podcast Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. live on YouTube. You can check it out. Spotify, Apple pods, all that stuff. Recorded edition is out there as well. I bring that up because Greg today I went in depth about Zappy and I looked at the numbers. I looked at total drives. I looked at touchdown drives. I looked at total offense. Because I think perception is a hell of a thing. And people are watching Zappy, and he's, he hits some of these explosive plays, and he doesn't turn the football over as much as Mac Jones. So it's, oh, man, if they only had Zappy here or there or anywhere, if, if that could only happen. First of all, I'm done with the Mac versus Zappy stuff. We need to just have the conversation about Zappy. Mac's been benched. 
He is an afterthought. Yep. His season is over. This is about Bailey Zappi and his future and what the offense has done with him at quarterback. That's what this is about. To go back, we don't know how Zappi would have reacted through the first six weeks of this season. As you mentioned, the first three weeks of this season, quarterback was not the problem. For some people, it was because it would always be the problem. It wasn't the problem. It just wasn't. The accumulation of hits, the accumulation of personnel misses and mistakes, the accumulation of the coaching staff, all of those things, all of those things Zappi has not had to deal with. He's done a good job early on as far as not getting too you know emotional about things and all that stuff. But we don't know how he would have reacted if he starts the season one and three, one and four, one and five. We have no idea. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'll tell you, Greg, and I'm just going to touch a couple of numbers that might surprise people. Again, you could follow me at Nick C Radio, and you could check out the pod if you'd like that I do. The Patriots have had seven drives with Bailey Zappi as QB1 that resulted in a touchdown. Seven drives. Zappi has QB1. I'm not talking about the games that he parachuted into against the Giants. He led a touchdown drive because Ramondre ran for like 50 yards of the 65 or whatever. It, I'm not counting that. From the Chargers game moving forward, seven touchdown drives. Greg, I'll ask you, how many of those touchdown drives that Zappi has led of those seven do you think started on the plus side of the field, on the other side of the 50? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would say... At least four. It's three. So 42.8% of the touchdown drives with Zappi as QB1 began on the plus side of the field. Points per game. If you take these special teams, and I just tweeted this before we started recording this podcast. If you take out the special teams touchdown from the Denver game, Bailey Zappi as QB1, points per game. The Patriots have scored 14 and a quarter points per game. That would be dead-ass last in the NFL behind the New York Giants currently. What do you think Mac Jones did? Mac Jones with zero special teams touchdowns. So just Mac Jones, 11 games as QB1. Mac Jones was worth 12.8 points per game. Bailey Zappi has been a point and a half better than Mac Jones. We, we can talk about everything about this guy, that guy. It's a point and a half better. And, and, we're comp and if you're going to compare him against the, the prior quarterback, we have to acknowledge that that prior quarterback completely broken, literally one of, if not the worst quarterback in the league for the final five or six games of his season this year. And so you're taking a quarterback who was literally one of, if not the worst quarterback in football, and you've improved by a point and a half with Bailey Zappi. And I'm not I'm not telling you that Zappi can't become a QB one. I'll give you know, I'll leave the door open because I love great stories. And we've seen Brock Purdy and we've seen some of these stories before. But what I am telling you is nothing based off of what we've seen from Zappi to this point before the Bills game should tell you that this offense is much, much better than it was with Mac. With Mac, it was more consistent, less explosive, more turnovers with Bailey. It's pretty much explosive play or three and out. And I have more numbers to prove it, but I won't share them now. So that's that's just that's just a, a little, you know, a little dose of of reality, I think, looking at this team and what this offense has actually done with Zappi at quarterback instead of the perception and the hyperbole that's being thrown out there. Uh, back to the mailbag. Packer boys, what are fair offers, Greg, for Owenu and Barmore? 
So on a Wenu, looking at overthecap.com, right tackle contracts, AAV, uh, the floor to me, it, the floor is $15 million. Um, that is the floor. I think a more apt comp, especially after watching him this week, uh, Mike McGlinchey of the Broncos got his contract last offseason uh, was 17.5 million AAV. I think that a Wenu can certainly make the, a strong case that he's better then McGlinchey has more versatility, things like that. So I would say somewhere in the realm of $18 million, right around there, that would put him in the top 10 among right tackles. Uh, Christian Barmore, well, let's see. Chris Jones makes $20 million per season. Uh, he is going to be a free agent after this season. Um Kenny Clark with the Packers makes seventeen point five million. Ed Oliver got seventeen million. You're probably for Barmore. I think you're looking at seventeen million somewhere around there um, as as part of a, an extension. And if it's Belichick still in charge, he wants a discount for for an extension. So uh, I can't see if I'm Barmore. I'm not. I'm not listening to that. I'm going to market because you look at you know uh, Jeffrey Simmons twenty three point five million. They if you can rush the passer at a defensive tackle, you get paid. And yeah. if it's not going to happen here, I'd be fine waiting for the market. You mentioned Owenu and tackle. If you're the Patriots, whoever's running this ship next year, if you're the guy making the call, Greg, do you see him as a tackle or do you see him as a guard moving forward? I put him at tackle just because I need I need to know I at least have one sure thing. And and I'm of the the mind that you can find guards. You can, you know, hopefully coach people up. City So's played well at times this year. Mafi, you're hoping will be better. You're hoping those two are your guards next year. Awenu gives you a solid I think he's a very good right tackle. I think he's a better guard, but he's a very good right tackle and that means you know, you get a plug and play, and I don't know if those exist in the draft anymore. But if you get a plug and play left tackle like uh, 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 the kid from Penn State, Alt from Notre Dame, one of those guys, then now all of a sudden you're cooking with gas if you have a real offensive line coach. Yeah, Olu Fushanu, who many people think, yeah, there you go, starting to believe that he might be better than Alt. Some of these draft pundits, but yep, I've watched Alts. I'm a I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I've seen every game of his for the last, you know three years or whatever dude's legit. He's, he's really good. Mm. Uh, more offensive line talk. And we'll do a little rapid fire here. Paul from Holden says, obviously the Patriots need to add offensive line help at tackle. Now that you've seen more film on strange. So in Mapu, not Mapu, Mafi, uh, what is your <laughs> current, the, the question had Mapi, M-A-P-I. Yeah. <laughs> and so I try to correct it and I corrected it wrong to Mapu instead of Mafi. So anyway, um, what, is, what is your current view about whether they need to add a guard or depth at center? Um, I don't think they do. If they believe in their draft, if their draft was any good, um, you know, they took uh, Jake Andrews, who I think was the, the highest of the three drafted uh, as the developmental center behind David Andrews. You have, you know, Moffy, who's played at times. Uh, to me, it looks to me like conditioning is an issue for him, but he has the tools in the hands of a really good offensive line coach. So needs to put on weight, get stronger, but he's played well at times this year. Um, you know, Cole Strange, 
Uh, it, a lot depends on what is going to have to be done with his knee injury. Uh, I assume he's going to need uh, some sort of surgery if he hasn't had it already. Um, you know, you know, we'll see. You know, he's also in the center mix. I think they're fine at the interior. I am all about um, the tackles and making sure that's good. I'm re-signing a Wenu. I'm drafting a tackle if I'm if I, a quarterback is not ready, uh, not readily there for me. Um, so I, I think, I think they're fine. There's nobody that I look at and I say, well, they're terrible. Now they, they all have their pluses. They all have their minuses. I just think they, the Patriots need a really good offensive line coach. And if they have that, I think that the, these players would improve a little bit more rapidly. A sliding doors moment. Another one. That's a theme in the podcast today. If, uh, if Belichick had only been less stubborn with Owenu when Owenu got healthy and, you know, started to work so in at, at guard instead of tackle, especially if he just, well, I mean, sliding doors, Riley Reef, Calvin Anderson. If they stuck with so where he played at college at guard, you wonder how much better he would be right now than he is because he was pushed to tackle and he was at camp to tackle yep. preseason tackle through about, you know, early to the mid season was playing tackle. How much of a difference that would have made. We don't really know. Brian L., given the whole year they didn't extend anyone, it seems like there has been a plan on changes for a long time, and this isn't something that popped up after the Colts game, Greg. I have a hard time seeing the Crafts enter into a season, especially when Robert Kraft was talking about, like, you know, I, that he had hopes for the playoffs, that he liked how people were underrating the team, that he thought they they had a pretty good team. I have a hard time seeing the, the, the Crafts just entering this season with Belichick as head coach and just being like, no matter what happens, we're moving on from bill. And so we're, we're leaving it fresh for somebody else. No, I think, I think sort of what I wrote in the off season, I think there's some truth to it, even though, you know, at the time I was just reading the tea leaves when I said that to me, it looked like the way they aren't touching 2024 in any significant way, basically they weren't doing anything beyond this season. To me, it was bill, you get a mulligan, we're giving you that you've earned it. Um, you obviously messed up. You've, you've, uh, you've taken accountability to that, to us, to the crafts and private. Um, we're giving that to you, but we don't have a whole lot of faith. Um, so don't touch 2024 just in case this doesn't work out. All right. We have our pick coming up in just a couple minutes, but let's finish with this mailbag question. Uh, there's just no way I can pronounce this name. BS Miatana, whatever. I don't, I'm sorry. It is what it is. Uh, given that the offensive line, especially the tackle spots, scuttled the season, likely cost Belichick his job and ruined Mac. Why should the Patriots do anything, Greg, but draft the best tackle at the top of said draft? Because the quarterback is such an important position in today's NFL and the Patriots might not have that great of an opportunity ever again to touch one of these guys. And, you know, it looks like Caleb Williams and probably Drake may will be out of their reach, but you know, Jaden Daniels, you know, JJ McCarthy, any of these secondary quarterbacks. I mean, I don't know how they're going to come out in the end. Certainly Jaden Daniels out of LSU, the Heisman trophy winner, somebody who's going to be talked about and, and scrutinized over. Um, and, you know, from the, some of the highlights I've seen, certainly there's a lot of talent there. So you have to evaluate that and you just, you, you think that, you know, that maybe you can figure out the tackle position. Maybe you can trade. I know this is a deeper, I would say this is a deeper tackle draft than it is a top flight quarterback draft. So, you know, if you can get Jaden Daniels at four 
and then trade up back into the first round and yep. get uh, a tackle, maybe you could do that because I do think there are six to eight offensive tackles that could have first round grades in this draft. So that's something that you have to think about if you're the New England Pacers because you have huge needs at both spots. All right, we'll have the pick in a minute, but check them out over at BSJ. Greg, Mike Giardi, 50 bucks for the year. Tag teaming Patriots coverage, of course, the rest of the team as well at Boston Sports Journal. And also, I remind you, as we get ready for that pick, the episode that you're listening to right now brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. New customers receive $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. The FanDuel line, Greg, bills minus 13 and a half, laying almost two touchdowns and two extra <laughs> points on the table Sunday against the Patriots in Buffalo. The over-under is 40.5. This year has been an ice cream headache. I am 6-9 and nine against the spread. I have no idea how to pick this team. It's driving me bananas, so I will let you start. <laughs> 13 and a half. Yeah. Uh, Nick, they don't have the fever. Didn't they see <laughs> Zappy in Denver? Didn't they see the plays he was making down the field? How the players are playing for him? It's wicked good, kid. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, 13 and a half. Like what has like has have these people watched the Bills this year? I mean, you know, I was just looking at their schedule. Yeah, so they whooped the Cowboys at home. Um, who also the Cowboys also sort of got whooped at Miami. Um, they squeaked out a game at Kansas City, which now we know. If you didn't know before, Kansas City just isn't that good. They beat Easton Stick on the road at yeah. L.A. by two. Easton Stick, baby. I mean, Easton Stick, Bailey Zappi, <laughs> both road even, games. Not even a name, Easton Stick. What are that? Yeah, uh, yeah. My son's got a hockey stick. It's an Easton Stick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, look, uh, um, you know, I, I know the 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 Bills have have steadied the ship a little bit. They've won three in a row. Josh Allen uh, uh, has played well. The running back has played really well. Um, that brings an added dynamic to this. But at the end of the day, the Patriots don't give up a lot in the running game. The The Bills only have Stephon Diggs. They don't really have anybody else. They've gotten some people back since the first matchup, some of the tight ends, Dawson Knox and like people like that. But they're not exactly overflowing with talent and, and receiving weapons. I'm sorry. There's... I. I would be shocked if the Bills cover that point spread. I am not taking them. I'm taking the Patriots to cover that spread. Now, do I think Buffalo wins? Yeah. I don't think the Patriots are going to sweep the Bills. And just a reminder, Mac Jones beat the Buffalo Bills. Um, people seem to forget about that. But I don't see the the Patriots sweeping the Bills this year. So I think the Bills win. But I'm going to say it's more Bills by seven or something like that. 13 and a half. Get the hell out of here with that. The fact that it's 13 and a half and the over-under is 40 and a half says an awful lot about how they feel about the Patriots offense. If you if you just go with the numbers, it'd be, you know, 27-13 kind of hovering around that if you go strictly by the the over-under in the in the spread. So they don't think they're not feeling it, as you said, Greg. They don't have the fever. Uh, so we'll see uh, if if Bailey can prove Vegas wrong. I agree with you. That's a lot of points, man. I'm going to go with the Patriots cover. I'll take the 13 and a half and I'll go with the over because I do think uh, the Bills will score a little bit. 
And I also think that Bailey will make a mistake or two and set up some easy scores for the Bills, especially, I don't know, late in the second half. So I'll go over and I'll go uh, take the points with the 13 and a half. We'll see what happens on Sunday. We'll be back early next week to recap and, of course, follow anything else that's happening in the news with the Patriots nowadays. Until then, be great, be safe, be healthy. He's Greg. I'm Nick. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattle.